Welcome to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Listen and grow as Dell questions the status quo, encourages you to think differently, and empowers you to make a better life. Get ready as Dell challenges core beliefs, seeks the truth, and reveals the roadmap to the lifestyle you really want. And now your host, multi-millionaire, national award-winning investor, CEO and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, Del Wamsley. Welcome to the Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. I'm your host, Del Wamsley, and as always, we're working on your financial freedom. Today, my friends, we're going to dig right back into the mailbag. And interesting letter, email came to me um, that... Really, as I read it, I had like so many different feelings that came across my mind that I wanted to share them all with you. Um, Somebody sent me an email, said, heat, humidity, flooding, and crime. Houston is the riskiest city in the U.S. for homeownership, study says. All right. Um, So the Houston Chronicles, the local newspaper, right? The point I think they're trying to make is that insurance is very expensive in Houston. They're making a point that isn't true. And I actually would like to see them prove it, that it's less safe to live in Houston than it is to live in the rest of the country. There is flooding in Houston, and that is a problem in Houston. There's no doubt about that. But do you think that Houston is really worse than New Orleans when the entire city went underwater? The whole Ninth Ward was completely under the ocean. But I don't think that it stands to be that Houston is the worst. And I'm only making this point not because I'm trying to defend Houston. I want you to understand this. What I'm defending is you can't believe everything that you read. It's pretty dumb. Whatever point she's trying to make here is pretty dumb because the reality is how safe is it in New York City where people every single day we see it on the news are getting pummeled and beat up by gangs thrown down on the ground robbed and even murdered where the cops are even being beat up now that may be coming to Houston because Houston is a 100% democratic city it is a 100 it's within a 100% democratically controlled county and so all that's probably headed for Houston too so i get that but We don't have forest fires here. I don't know what this person's talking about, how forest fires make things challenging. There's no forest fires in Houston. There's no trees in Houston, right? So if you look at California with earthquakes, forest fires, uh, storms, drought, and you compare that to Houston, I don't get it, man. So all I'm I'm making is the, the only part of this I'm making the point is this, is that people lie because they have an agenda. And so they're trying to make some kind of agenda out of this. In this case, it was left-wing people making an agenda. I'm sure there's cases where right-wing people make agendas also. But in this case, it was just so blatant. It just slapped me in the face because somebody I knew sent this to me. He goes, what do you think of this? I go, I don't think anything of it. It's just total BS, right? We were the fourth largest city in the country, and we are on the way to being the third largest. We are growing faster than almost every northern city out there. Chicago's losing people. New York is losing people. California is losing people. People aren't moving here because this is the most dangerous place to live. They're moving here because this is a much better standard of living. Okay, so now do I like it? No, I don't like the fact that more and more and more people come here and make everything more complicated for the people who live here. But the bottom line is this article is a lie. Second thing about the article, fun fact, uh, when he sent it to me, I I said, uh, I wrote him an email back. I said, boy, that's terrible. Where are you going to move to? (laughs) In other words, if you really believe this, why don't you just leave? And then I put, I said, look, I live on a hill. And if any of you have seen my home, either on Facebook or you've been here yourself, you know, it's 
way up on top of a hill. I'm the highest point in the area that I live in. And there are houses that are uh, at least 10, 20, 30 feet below me in elevation down to a creek that runs through our subdivision. And the largest, uh, I've been here 14 years, the largest uh, rainfall we've ever had, the largest flood we had, flooded the streets, flooded up to the lowest houses. But you would have to go from the lowest house all the way up another 10 or 20 feet to get to the street in front of those houses. And then you'd have to go up another 20 or 30 feet to get up to the elevation of my house. So, I mean, if my house were to ever get any water, even at the front step, every house in the subdivision would be gone. And these are multi-million dollar homes, okay? So flood is not a problem. I said heat. I have air conditioner and I have generators. And the generator is brand new and gets serviced on a regular basis, right? I have a pool, so if it's hot, I could go swimming. It's, it's almost enjoyable, right? Uh, as far as safety, I have... I'm in a gated community inside of a gated community. And then my yard is gated. And inside my yard, I have three dogs. And uh, not only that, we have armament. We are Americans that actually own guns. So, hey, we feel pretty good about where we live and how we live, right? So I just ask him, you know, what about that? Now, the third point here. I think is most relevant for you is that I went on a tour with a guy the other day to, and his wife to look at a property for sale. And it was a really old property in a really bad part of town. And it was raining heavily when we went. And as we, we walked around, the puddles in the driveway and so forth were inches, inches deep. And you could see that if you lived at this little community, if whenever it rained, you got to get out of your car into water and walk up to your house. Miserable way to survive. But then I looked over to the, the, the selling agent and I said, and also the uh, manager of the place, and I said, is this place in the flood zone? And they looked at me just clear as I could be and said, yes, of course it is. So in other words, here's a property that's in the 100-year flood zone, which means you would have to pay very high insurance to have flood insurance there. And the other thing is, it's going to flood. It's not when or not if, it's when this place is going to flood. So I told my client, I go, it's, you'd have to buy this thing for 10 cents on the dollar, 50 cents on the dollar at the most to make it worth owning this. Just the misery and the problems of having this whole place flood and having all the tenants have no place to live. It's just not worth it. And that's the main point I wanted to get out today is that, hey, in life, you don't buy a home that's in a floodplain and everybody knows where the floodplains are at. The next article or the next email that we're discussing is going to be aligned also with an article that came out, uh, which is really one of my pet peeves uh, of the last 18 months or so. And that is uh, the question of whether or not there really is a classification system for real estate or not commercial real estate we're talking about here. I, uh, I'm of the opinion that there should be, that there technically is a difference between A, B, C, and D properties, which we used to call A, B, A class, B class, C class, and no class at all properties, that they should be considered different price-wise. They should be considered different operation-wise. They're completely different types of investments if you really understand what they are. Now, the problem with that was is that the brokers ran out of stuff to sell at the highest prices possible. So, what they did was they eliminated the concept of A, B, C, and D. Completely just eliminated it, right? And when you think about this for a second, let's talk about a property. If you take all of its income 
and you take all of its expenses and subtract all the expenses, you have something called net operating income. That's how much money that apartment makes before you take mortgage payments out. So forget the mortgage payments because that's all about how you finance it. You can pay cash for it or you can put a mortgage on it and you can have a e- good mortgage, a bad mortgage, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But the property's value is not based on the mortgage. It's based on the NOI, net operating income. All the income it brings in minus all the expenses it costs to operate it. Now, let's say that that net operating income is $100,000 a year. That's what you'd earn on this small baby apartment complex. My question to you, and I asked this to the gentleman who you know, contacted me on this, and I've asked 100 other people the same question, no, actually thousands because this is part of my seminar. I said, let me ask you this. If I told you you could earn $100,000 on an apartment, I said there's two of them. They both earn $100,000 each, but one of them is in the worst part of town and one of them is in the best part of town. Would you pay me more to buy the one in the best part of town? And you'd be surprised how many people can't answer that question. Now, logically, you should be willing to pay more to be in a good part of town because all the risks associated with being in a bad part of town are overwhelming. One, all your tenants are going to be purple Martians because that's who lives in a bad part of town. This is a class D neighborhood. Your infrastructure is usually bad. The age of the property, well, we'll get into the age in a second, but, but the point is you should be willing to pay more to buy a class A property than you should be willing to pay for a class D given the same amount of NOI, net operating income, right? That's just understandable. Now, let's take the next point. Two properties, both have $100,000 with NOI, and one of them is brand new, and the other one is 40 or 50 years old, maybe 60. You know, we're in the 20, that's 60, 1960s construction would be 60 years old. And would you pay the pay more to get a brand new building than what you would pay to get that $100,000 worth of NOI on a 60-year-old building? And again, it surprises me how many people can't answer that question because in their mind, there's no difference. If you grow up and you are a purple Martian yourself... Your family's a purple Martian. Maybe you've grown out of being purple Martian. Maybe you're pink. Maybe you're almost back to normal. But if you grew up in that neighborhood, it doesn't even begin to register with you that it's a bad neighborhood, that the people there are bad tenants because you grew up a part of that neighborhood. And so you, as an unsophisticated, uneducated person buying into a syndication, into one of these deals that... 8 billion people are selling to you now, unsophisticated syndicators that don't know themselves the difference between an A-class and a D-class or a B-class and a C-class. In fact, if I asked 99% of the people out there that have not taken my class, how do you define A, B, C, and D? They couldn't give you the answer. I know they couldn't. I mean, it took me years to figure it out, and I finally had to ask top-end people where it actually came from. And, you know, I found it out because I talked to the guy that made the data, created the data for the National Apartment Association. I said, hey, if you can give us data as to what percentage occupancy is A class, B class, C class, and D class, there actually has to be a way to calculate what is A class, B class, C class, and D class. He goes, of course there is. And he explained it to me. Now, I'm not going to explain it to you here right now because there's more to this than meets the eye because they're not even using that to sell you stuff anymore. If they want to just break it into two categories now, the two categories are class A and workforce housing. So what they're basically saying is anything, you can take an old, super old property, 
and you slap some paint on it and put some new countertops in there and some new cabinet doors, and now it's an A? It's not an A, guys. You can take a Class D property that's in a Class C neighborhood, and you can improve it, upgrade it, and make it a C. You might be able to make it a C plus. In other words, be the best property in a C neighborhood, but you're still a C. But yet, they're selling it to the people at the price of a Class A, going, look, all, all the remodel. Look, it's unbelievable what they're doing to people. Unsophisticated, because after I started 35 years ago, Lifestyles Unlimited, within 10, 15, 20 years, I had people that came out of my group, decided they would become gurus and mentors, and they started teaching syndications. Many of the people, in fact, the largest ones I know of, couldn't even run their own properties effectively. Most of them had lost money on every deal they did. So they saw that there was more money in teaching than doing, right? If you can't do it, teach it. And if you can't teach it, legislate it so nobody else can do it or teach it, right? Once you've got all these unsophisticated people out there buying this stuff, you could tell them anything they didn't know because they left that part out of the seminar, that there's good stuff and bad stuff. There's What they're saying is you can buy anything and make money with it, but you can't because you can't take a D out of a D neighborhood and make it an A. It won't work. The next point you got to understand is how long does it take before an A becomes a B, right? If something's an A when it's brand new, is it brand new for 10 years? Is it brand new for 15 years? Is it brand new for 20 years? How is it they're taking everything they can and turning it into Class A? And I said, well, why is that? Because they're selling it at prices that only Class A's would sell at. That's the problem. All right, we'll take a short break. We'll come back, dig deeper into this problem. We'll be right back with the Del Wabas Radio Show. So when I say be ready, number one, to get ready, you better join up Lifestyles Unlimited and learn all these things we're talking about. If you're out there piddling and, you know, internet information and your buddy's information or your dad's information it's not going to get you the results that we're talking about you're going to have to be educated in what we're doing learn from the people that are already where you want to be join us for the free online workshop at lifestylesunlimitedworkshop.com you're hearing the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Want more life-changing knowledge? Access our podcast and listen on demand at lifestylesunlimited.com under the radio tab. Now your host, Dell Wamsley. Welcome back to Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Today uh, we've been discussing, is there a difference between A-class, B-class, C-class, and no-class at all? Real estate called D-class. And the answer is, of course there is, but the brokers don't want you to know that. Why? Because you should be paying less per door, less per square foot to buy class C, D properties than you are B's and A's. And really all the way down the line, there should be less for a B than there is for an A, less for a C than there is for a B, and less for a D. But because people become unsophisticated syndicators and they really don't know what they're doing, the Brokers, real estate brokers out there and the mortgage brokers out there are able to sell these people these ridiculously uh, priced properties. You say, well, why would the bank finance them? The bank isn't financing them. That's the point. What the bank is doing is saying, okay, look, we'll lend you instead of 80%, which they used to lend us in the beginning. In fact, they used to lend us 90%, but let's just say 80 was considered the, the traditional amount you'd buy an apartment for. They'd lend you 80, you put down 20. They're lending you now 50% of the money, maybe 55, 
maybe 60, maybe 65, maybe 70, but nowhere near the 80. So what is the difference? Why are they not lending? Well, they're giving you this hooey-pooey thing that the debt coverage ratio doesn't cover it. That's not even the case. The case is it doesn't appraise, and they're lending you really 80% of some number that's the real number of what it's worth. And they won't admit that to you. In a million years, they won't admit that, because what they've done is they've structured the numbers to put them in a position where they will not lend too much on these properties. And their structure works for them, but they're just not calling it what it really is. They're not going to lend you 80% of a property that you're buying at way too high a price. And you're buying it way too high a price because a class A should cost a hundred and something thousand dollars a door, but a class B should not cost that much. And a class C definitely shouldn't be over a hundred thousand dollars a door and a class D should be even half of that. And there's property out there that are sold at the right price, but there's so many unsophisticated, stupid syndicators that are buying these properties at these extremely high prices. Now, the gentleman sent me the email, asked a couple questions. I've got some class A properties where I started getting distributions much quicker than the distributions on the properties that I have that are C class properties. And then he goes on and says, well, the people running the class A and B properties seem to be more sophisticated or a more experienced group of lead investors, whereas the other group is a less experienced. Well, you have to look at what this really is. Two things are going on here in this gentleman's question. The first thing is that the sophisticated investors are buying better properties. And so there's less that needs to be corrected before the properties start making money and pay out distributions. The less sophisticated buyers are being forced down into buying the lower end properties, the class C. And by the way, if they're calling it class C, it's probably a class D. That's just my guess. Don't know that for a fact, but just my guess. And these properties have massive amounts of deferred maintenance that have to be corrected. Um, You think about anything that's 40 or 50 or 60 years old, right? And it's going to be that old if they're going to admit it's a C. Think of it. Every air conditioner on that building is past its prime. It needs to be replaced. The roof needs to be replaced on this property. You probably have some foundation issues by now, just typically. Um, you've got the siding may be rotted out if it's not hardy plank, if it's not something very strong. You know, if it's just that T111 stuff, it's rotted out by now. You've got these all the water heaters and plumbing and all that stuff, the electrical I mean, the electrical boxes might be the kind of electrical boxes they don't even allow you to use anymore and may need to be replaced. So there's a massive lift, it's what they call it, from where the property is when you buy it to where it should be before you should actually be able to put it out there and start operating it. That difference can be a long time and a lot of lost money. And an unsophisticated beginner might not even bring in an amount of money necessary to do all those renovations. And so what happens is they end up owning a slum just because they didn't know. And when that happens, you're going to struggle with that property forever. Now, I've got some financial data that came out, and I told you I had an article that came out that was in parallel to this person's uh, email. So we have something to, to compare it to. And I think it's very interesting to look at this data because over the years, the data, this data has stayed pretty uh, similar. So what do I mean by that? Well, let's talk about occupancy. Whenever occupancy gets tough, who suffers occupancy losses the most. It is class A and class D. Now, why is that? Well, class D is the lower socioeconomic bracket of our society. It doesn't have any money. And when jobs start drying up and 
problems occur, these people are going to move back in with their parents, move back in with their best friends. They're going to double up in units. They're going to live two or three families to one unit um, because they don't have the money. They can't survive. They can't keep occupancy. So the occupancy drops radically for those people. But unbeknownst to everybody else, the other one is Class A. So, well, why Class A? Because when times get tough, people go, why should I pay $3,000 a month, $2,500 a month to live in a one-bedroom when I can go down to a Class B and live there for $1,200 a month for half the price? And so you'll see people moving out of Class A's into Class B's when times are tough. Same thing is true. When times are good, people move out of the D's to move into the C's. C's move up to B's. B's might move up to A's. But when the times are tough, people are moving out of the A's because those things are just too expensive. Number two, there's usually some new construction going on somewhere on Class A, brand new stuff. And if that stuff happens to hit a recessional period of time, then the only thing they know how to do to fill up these empty buildings, completely empty buildings, is to discount the heck out of rents. And when they start giving away two months, three months, six months free, and they start discounting the rents radically, what happens is people start moving out of the B's, right? And moving into the A's for free rent. But the economic occupancy of the class A, it's still empty. If, if you got somebody living in your unit and they're not paying, you've given them two months, three months, six months rent, you literally are still vacant. And so the economic occupancy of these class A's goes down. So here's the report. And let's see, this is the year-end report for 2004th quarter, 2023. You ready? Class A occupancy, 84%. Now, you realize my properties are at 99.8% occupancy right now. Let me repeat that for you. We're at 99.8% occupancy right now. Many, many Lifestyles members that follow what I say, follow my teachings, are in similar characteristics. I mean, they're anywhere from 95 and up, let's just say. But the overall market is at 84%. Let's go to Class B. Class B is 91%. That's a good, what is that, seven points higher? 91.5%. It's a good seven points higher in occupancy for Class B. So obviously, we're in a recessional period. Rents are going, and by the way, there's a little arrow next to this. I didn't give this to you. Class A occupancies are going down. Class B occupancies are going down. Now watch this. Class C is 90.2%, but the occupancies are going up. So what does that mean? That means people living in B's for $1,200 a door can't afford to live there anymore, and they're moving into C's for $800, $900 a door. And that's just what they'll do. They got to go where they can afford. And so the A's and the B's are losing occupancy. So does that mean the D's are getting more? No, because people won't move into a Class D neighborhood. D's are losing occupancy because people are doubling up and moving out going back home with their parents or moving in with a friend. And that occupancy is 88% and on the way down. So you see what I'm saying? It's not safe to be in a Class D property. There's a lot more risk there. Class C and B are better, right? And Class A is really has some innate risks if there's a downturn. Next, we're going to talk about rents. And the one thing you need to understand about rents is that you got a rent house. It's really easy to rent it. You know what it rents for, what it's worth, and it will rent instantly if you put it at that price. But in apartments, there's all kinds of games going on out there. And what do I mean by that? Well, if you remember back to what we talked about in the, the segments previous to this, that the brokers are trying to sell these properties for more than what they're truly worth. So what they do is they create a, perf 
a, a pro forma set of numbers. The pro forma means, hey, if everything was done right, this is what this thing would be making for income, and this is what it would be worth, and that's what you should you know, try to sell it for. That's what this thing would be worth at its, its maximum. And that's just wrong, but that's what they do, and people are dumb enough to pay that price for it, right? So when you look at this and you say, how do they do that? You say, here's what they do. They tell you a couple of things that are really, really wrong about owning real estate because these guys are not trying to own real estate to make money with real estate like I am and like my students that are listening to me are. They're trying to make money by real estate by creating a greater fool theory. The greater fool theory says, I can figure out how to scam the next person in line and I'll make a profit. So what they do is they say, okay, if you get 200 units, let's take 20 units and let's upgrade those units and raise the rents. Now, one of the points I make to you about life that you probably are too young to understand or maybe just too mean to understand, maybe you're a Democrat and you don't even believe it, but there are 20 dumb people anywhere you go in any city, there's going to be 20 dumb people. And those people are too dumb to realize they're paying too much for what they're renting. Or maybe they got bad credit. Maybe they have to pay too much. But what you can do is take your apartment complex and take 10 or 20 units and increase the rent on those and find those 10 or 20 dumb people. Now, what is your rent? If your rent is really $1,000 a door, but you found 10 or 20 people willing to pay 1200 is your rent really 1200 Well, that's what the broker's going to say. Look, the rent is really 1200 and we just have these people that haven't got there yet because their leases haven't expired. Well, theoretically, that's the case. But is it really 1200 Or did you just find 20 dumb people that were willing to pay too much? Now, you could argue this point, but it really comes down to whether the market's going up or the market's going down. There's also another um, component, and that is, okay, we have people in this apartment that are paying 800 right? Because they have a lease and that's what it was before we bought it from this other guy who sold it to us. And he sold it to us on the pro forma that we'd get a thousand a month for rents. So we paid too much to the thousand. Now we're trying to get somebody to pay us too much to the 1200 rents, but there are people still at 800. So when the market turns around and comes back down again, right? And you can't get that 1200, nobody out there is dumb enough to pay the 1200. Then the rent that is what is considered market rent starts to go back down towards that thousand. Well, we can't get 1200, let's try 1100. Okay, we're in our occupancy starts to go down because you're charging too much and you can't fill it up. And pretty soon you go from 95% occupied to 90 to 88 to 85 to 84 to 80. Boom, you start going down if you don't lower your rents. So if you lower your street rents from 1200 to 1100 to 1050, you then are able to maintain an occupancy in the 85 to 90% range, right? Because you're trailing, you're letting your rents trail down with the market. But what is the real rent? The real rent is 1000 and you're still trying to get 1150, 1100, 1050. And it's really a thousand. But here's the weird thing about it: there are still people out there that are paying eight hundred that you can now move their rent up to a thousand because if they go out on the street, they're not going to see anything for eight hundred. So you can take those tenants and still increase their rent. So when we buy properties, even in up times and down times, if you're able to read the rent roll correctly and figure out what market rents truly are, are you with me? Then you can see that there's still upside in that rent roll for more income because there's people that are paying way below market rent.
And so you've got some people out there paying twelve hundred because they're idiots. You got some people out there paying a thousand because that's mark true market rent. And you got some people paying eight hundred because they've been there for twenty years and the landlord was too lazy to raise the rent because they knew they'd have to do a make ready if the person moved out. There you have it. Now having said all that, let's take a look at what the rents are doing here. If you look at the class A's, the rents are a dollar eighty one cents per square foot in two thousand twenty three, December of fourth quarter, $1.81. But the arrow is pointed down. They're going down. So are they really $1.81? Is that what the true market is right now? Or is it really less than that, but everybody's holding it $1.81? Well, let's look over the occupancy. The occupancy in class A is 84%. Well, if the occupancy is only 84%, do you believe the rents are really $1.81 per square foot? The answer is absolutely not. They're lying to you. Do you understand? The brokers are lying to you. They're not actually getting a dollar eighty-one. In fact, if you look at the arrow, the rents are going down every month. And they're going to go down until they get to where they truly are. Then they're not going to go down anymore because that's what people will pay. If you rent your place for what it's truly worth, it will rent instantly. If you don't, then you're going to have vacancy. At 84% vacancy, you can see the Class A's are trying to hold their rents too high. If you go down to Class B, which is 91% occupied, it's $1.40. So $0.40, a third of the rent lower to go to a Class B. And that's why they're 91% occupied. Now, you might say, well, Del, how are you 99.8%? Because our rents are truly right on market. And that's how you stay occupied. You rent for what true market is. So, well, isn't it better to be getting higher rents with every? No, it's better to get what it actually should be so your tenants don't leave. The most expensive part about owning an apartment is turnover. And if your tenants are leaving every other month to go somewhere else for a better price because your rent's too high, your make-ready cost will drive you out of business. And there you go, my friends. The unsophisticated syndicators are getting their butts kicked. Hope you learned something today. And remember, it's not the money. It's a lifestyle. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Want more of Dell's unconventional wisdom? Go to lifestylesunlimited.com and click the radio tab. Listen to past shows, hear podcasts on demand, and find out how you can change your life today. The Del Wamsley Radio Show is part of the Lifestyles Unlimited Radio Network. The information and opinions you hear on the Del Wamsley Radio Show are those of the host, Del Wamsley, his guests, and his callers, and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of this station, its affiliates, its management, or advertisers. The Del Wamsley Show is for entertainment purposes only. Please consult a professional regarding your personal investment needs. Nothing presented on the Del Wamsley Show constitutes an endorsement, recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or security.